Welcome to the teaching ministry of Pastor Deborah Grohler. We pray that you will be blessed and empowered by today's message. Good morning to you. I'm so happy to be in this book with you today. I really am. It's just Tuesdays are, I, I, I just can't tell you how precious they are to me. They are just a precious day and it's just so great to be together and they're precious because you're precious. You really are. We're precious to one another, and we have a great thing together. I hope that your holiday time was blessed and that you had a great time as we celebrated, not Easter, we celebrated what? Passover, unleavened bread, and feast of first fruits. That is the correct biblical way that we should view the holiday season that we just went through because you'll never see the word Easter in the Bible. Just won't see it. Um, and so I hope you had a really good time with that. We certainly did. I'm going to show you our, a couple little pictures. This is our granddaughter, Rowan, who was Chris's little girl. And, um, yeah, she's getting really big. And as you know, uh, Chris and Shane are not married, and so we're, we've had some times to try to work through getting to know Rowan, but things are going wonderful right now. And Shane actually calls me and asks me for advice now. So God has really restored a lot that the enemy really wanted to rob. So... She's five years old, and she is a piece of work. Let me tell you something. Wow, she's smarter than I am. I, I'm afraid of her a little bit. It's like, time to go. She's going to ask me a question I don't have the answer to. <laughs> and then we left, you know, we had some time with her, and then we went to see this bunch. Um, this is our North Carolina, part of the North Carolina crew. And we just had a wonderful time there. And I got to tell you, every time I come home, I leave a little bigger piece of my heart, and certainly in North Carolina, just a wonderful, wonderful thing, and something really excited took place while we were there, but I'm going to share that with you at the Relentless Conference, just amazing, I could just cry, God is just so good, and talk about endurance, what a testimony this is, but we'll talk about that at Relentless, and it was so funny, Jackson, he's going to be five in August, and he, you can just see him developing, you know, especially when you don't see them for like maybe, I try to get there like every six weeks or so, um, but just maturing a little bit and thinking of others. At least I thought he was thinking of others. I get ready to leave, and he has a little Ziploc bag. He's going around the house because I need to take on the plane some treats. So, you know, he's putting some candy in there, and he puts his plastic frogs and some, some tattoos. Now, my son, Eric, we've got to pray for him because he likes ink, okay? I like it on paper. He likes it on his body. So we're, we're, we're really praying for him. So Jackson gives us these little tattoos, and he goes, give this to Uncle Eric because he likes tattoos. <laughs> just so cute. So he puts the whole thing together, and we're getting ready to leave, and he said, now, Mama, you can only have one when you get on the plane, which is what they tell him when they travel, you know? Okay, Jackson. Then he goes, one more thing. He brings me his little plane, this little adorable little blue plane. I said, oh, Jackson, honey, I don't want to take that. I said, yeah, we'll play when you come back. No, no, Mama, you, you need to take it. I said, I don't really want to... He goes, it's okay. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> so just when I thought he was maturing and thinking of others, that statement ruined it all. <laughs> He's like, no, you take it. I don't, I don't even like it anymore. <laughs> so, so adorable. I wanted to bring it with me to show you, but I didn't. And then left there, came home, and then had a few days just to kind of get alone with the Lord and just... Think about Relentless a little bit and some of the details that are involved. And I have to tell you, I am so excited about what the Lord is going to do um, as we gather over that weekend, next weekend. So please be praying and 
just really believing for a wonderful time in his presence and in his glory. So, are you ready to jump into our story? Yes, because it's almost time to stop and I haven't just started. Wow, my, 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 we have been on such a road trip together, have we not, as we have been all over Canaan. And now we find ourselves even in Egypt as we spend our time in Genesis, about to end, about to end, only two more chapters, but before we do, we just have a few amazing things, as you would imagine, that are yet to be seen. So don't you get, touch your neighbor and say, don't get off your camel yet. That's right, stay on that camel. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to chapter 48 of Genesis. We are going to conclude that chapter today. While you're preparing for that, I once heard about, uh, it's just a preparation for our time together, I once heard about a lawyer who was reading the will out of a very rich man, and all the people mentioned in the will were there. And the first thing the lawyer says is, to my loving wife, Rose, who was with me through all the good times and all the bad times, never left my side. I leave you the house and $2 million. To my beloved daughter, Jessica, you were with me all through my sickness. You never left my side either. You took care of the business while I wasn't doing well. To you, I leave the business and $1 million and my yacht. Okay, it's, it's, getting, it's getting gooder. Then he says to my brother, Dan, of course the lawyer's reading this, to my brother, Dan, who hated me, and argued with me, and never got along with one thing I said. And you said, Dan, that I would never mention you in my will. Well, you were wrong. Hi, Dan. <laughs> Everyone in the family hopes to be included in their father's will. Hopefully more than a mention. And Jacob, as we enter into this portion of our time together, Jacob has determined that it's time to appoint an inheritance to his family, and that's where we're going to pick up. The last time we were together, we came to a very important understanding moment, at least I hope you did, that there will be no more passing of the birthright. I think you had your group time together, and you were trying to establish why do we use the, the constant phraseology of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it ends at Jacob. Why is there not the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph? And so we came to this really amazing understanding moment that it stops right here and that the birth rate is going to be equally divided amongst all the tribes. Ultimately, Israel as the nation would become the, the birthright, if you will, because you would remember what was said of Abraham, that you'll, you'll be blessed and you'll be a blessing, that ultimately the Jews were to take the gospel to the world. That was the original intent of Scripture for them to do. So this, this birthright is now equally divided amongst the tribes. We did say, though, the seed, the seed, the messianic seed was given to a specific tribe. And who was that church? Judah. And we're going to get into a little bit more of that as we go. So the birthright being equally divided includes Joseph's sons. In essence, Joseph is taken out of the midst and his sons are adopted. We'll see that today, literally by uh, by Israel or by Jacob, and they're included in. The ending of Genesis is Jacob's finest moment. I, I want you to be aware of that and be looking for it as we go through. Because we saw as he was leaning on his staff, and we talked a lot about the staff the last time we were together, how that staff, that leaning on that that covenant remembrance of God was with him all the way and, and how we, we, we kind of looked at our own lives and what is the staff we lean on that reminds us of our covenant and hopefully it's the table you come to. This is why we have the covenant 
Seder, Last Supper, whatever you want to call it. It really is the Passover table because this is a staff we can come to when we're weak, when we don't have answers to things, when we have sickness in our body and we come to this table and we see our covenant rights, our covenant rights as believers, that his body was bruised and striped and, and pierced and that by his blood it eradicates every sin that we will ever know that anything could, anybody could ever come up with. But it's not just sin, it's our health also. And so this table is just so important, and that's why the Lord has instructed me very early in the ministry to always have that up. It's a rarity if you would ever come, and this table would not be here. Certainly we have corporate communion together. I understand Jeanette did just a wonderful, amazing teaching last week, and you had that corporate communion, and we need to have those times. But this should be out all the time because this is, in essence, our staff, our, our, our covenant of remembrance. Amen? So... Jacob is introduced to Joseph's sons, and the rest of the chapter and chapter 49 are about the blessing of the will, if you will, of the father being transferred. And, you know, yes, there was no high dance in it. Everybody got to hear exactly what the inheritance was going to be, and we'll, we'll get to some of that. But I want to begin going back to where we left off in chapter 48, verses 11 to 18. And it says, And Israel said to Joseph, now notice the name, Israel is who? Jacob. For those of you who are visiting, we've come to the understanding that there's this name change that keeps taking place in these last few chapters of Genesis having to do with Jacob. Sometimes he's called Jacob, and other times he's called Israel. And so Moses strategically flips those names around and name changes because whenever we see Israel, we see him moving in a covenant way, in a faithful way. When we see Jacob, we often see him in a fleshly way and acting out of the natural resources that are surrounding him. So Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. He, he thought he was never going to see Joseph again, let alone his two children. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. We're going to go to verse 18. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand. Take notice to this. And Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Now, who's the firstborn here of Joseph's? Manasseh. Okay? So Joseph is, is, is without even thinking, he's situating in what would be normal way to bless. The right hand is always the, a blessing. Jesus sits on the right hand. We see the right hand is always a, a measure of power, of blessing, those kind of things. So Joseph situates the children with the firstborn in line with Jacob's right hand, or Israel's right hand, okay? Then Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it on Ephraim's head. Who was the younger? And his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. If you have your Bible open, that deserves a highlight, an underline, a circle, because that is a significant word that we're going to look at in a minute. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Let me show you the picture of what this might have looked like. Of course, this is, a, this is an artist's rendition, but it'll give us an idea. So we can see, probably a little dark for you to see, but you can see his hands are like this. See, Joseph put them in a position where they would be in the rightful position for right and left-handed based on birth, Manasseh to the right and Ephraim to the left. But see, as we just read, and knowingly, in fact, I think the King James uses the word wittingly, that this, he switches out those hands, okay? 
And the name Israel is being used here because God is using him in a very different way. He didn't just go out and just do exactly what Joseph did. No, we're seeing, we know that the, when the name was changed to Israel, that word Israel means governed by God. Governed by God. And we see here the way he's placing the blessing on the two sons. He indeed is being governed by God to do that because he's going to not only adopt them, but there's going to be some fruit that's going to come out of this blessing, which we will get to. Verse 14 says, his hands were guided. My, 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 who was guiding his hands, I wonder, since his name is called Israel at this particular junction. Yes, knowingly, Israel is indeed being governed by God at this very moment. Verse 15, the God who has fed me. Did we get to that? Let's see that. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk, the God who has fed me all of my life, long to this day. Let's go through 18, 16. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Take notice the angel has a capital A. Let my name be named upon them. What does this mean? He's adopting them. He's adopting them. They're going to be brought in. It's not, no longer going to be Joseph's sons. They're going to be Israel's sons. Okay? Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Verse 17. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took the hand of his father's hands to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Could you just, could you have a family like this? Could, could you just place your, dad, dad, come on, come on. No, that's not how we do it. Come on, dad. You know, remember, he's not seeing real well. That's one of the things we know, that his eyes were dim. We've read that. So I could just see Joseph, dad, no, put your hands back over. Yeah. Trying to correct. You could just see the family orientation that this might have took place in. Let's, let's, let's talk about that for a little bit in a minute. So first of all, I want to say that verse 15 says, the God who fed me all my life long. David would call this name of God Jehovah Roha. And I think we have a picture, which means he is my shepherd. He has fed me all the day long. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no one. D did you hear that? I have no one. Why? Because he fully supplies us with everything we need. Every joint is fully supplied. The only time we have we, that we have one is when we don't really know who we are and who he is. Because our life is hidden in Christ. And last I checked, Christ isn't lacking anything. He's lacking nothing. Amen? So we see that name. Uh, verse 16 says, the angel of the Lord. That's a very significant uh, time for us to look back at some past lessons we've had. We know when we see the angel of the Lord that it, it, it tells us there, it's a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ, right? It's a theophany. Jacob has come to learn that this angel, the angel of the Lord, that he wrestled with now wrestles not with him but wrestles for him. Oh, that's good. That's good. That angel of the Lord that wrestled with him, he has matured. He's now called Israel, and he's come to realize that that angel wrestles also for him. 
furthermore, the angel of the Lord redeemed him, it says here in verse 16. The Hebrew word for redeemed is goel. It's the same word we find when we see Boaz in the book of Ruth, okay? He is a goel. He's a redeemer. He's a kinsman redeemer, okay? Why is that interesting to know? Because Israel calls the angel of the Lord the kinsman redeemer. It's like he's proclaiming the gospel before we ever see Christ on the planet yet. He's, he's seeming, see, this is what I'm saying, he's governed by God. This is a different Jacob, this Israel. We see him very differently. And he's acknowledging the coming Christ. Whether he fully understands that or not, because he's being governed by God, he's prophesying. See, sometimes we prophesy something, and we don't know all of the scenarios and situations. We just hear from God and speak what God says to speak, not knowing to understand any of it. Thus saith the Lord, all the prophets who said that never understood every single aspect of everything. My goodness, John, the apostle, when he wrote the book of Revelation, he was prophetically writing that book. and didn't, he, It said in some places in Revelation, he was just so overwhelmed by how to put this in writing, the things that God would give him visions of. And so we see here that he's using the words, and we as New Testament believers and Bible study girls, we have done our homework, and we know that some of these words mean this pre-incarnate Christ. He is calling the kinsman redeemer. So he's actually, as I said, acknowledging the coming Christ. Joseph, knowing Israel's eyes are dim, tries to correct this switch. Let me just let you know that while Israel's eyes may have been dimmed in the natural, spiritually they were operating in 2020. Oh, they were operating in 2020. He's doing exactly what God wanted him to do. And verse 14 tells us this when it says he did this knowingly. Knowingly. Can we go a little deeper? Verses 19 to 22. But his father refused this, this, this switch, a rule, we'll call it, okay? And said, I know my son. So interesting. Like he just already knew what Joseph was thinking, but he knew what God wanted. I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. We're going to verse 22. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Mm. Touch your neighbor and say, May God make you as Ephraim. Amen. Amen. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Okay? Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Again, governed by God. He's remembering the covenant. He's not giving up on the fact that they've been in Egypt all this time and he still knows God is going to be true to his word. And if he said, you're going to go to Canaan, you're going to go to Canaan. More, and, and by the way, I want to just say, that's part of our role, I think, as grandparents and parents. Are we reminding our children what God has said? Are we, are we living in such a way that it's just very natural for us to live out the word of God? 
We don't have to have a Bible study with them. They just see by our normal activities of daily living the things that we say, how we flow, how we operate, what comes out of our mouths. Because this is what I see in these patriarchs. You know, patriarchs were prophets at that time because there were no prophets. And, and we, we're going to see that in the, certainly in the next chapter. Moreover, verse 22 says, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Now, this is the end of chapter 48, but I want to talk about a few things before we pass. Jacob selected the younger rather than the older. We've just read that. Ephraim would be greater, we also read, than Manasseh. In fact, other than Judah, I think it behooves us to know, Ephraim was greater than any of the other 12. I'm going to read to you something out of this Jewish Genesis record book that I use sometimes for, the, for a commentary. It says here that it's worth noting again how often God bypassed the oldest son in favor of the younger. Isaac instead of Ishmael, Jacob instead of Esau, Joseph instead of Reuben, and now Ephraim instead of Manasseh. The rule is not invariable, of course. The point is that God's choice is for spiritual reasons, not chronological reasons. Okay? So there's a spiritual situation that's going on here that, that we're going to actually see when we get to the next chapter. So, in fact, the name Ephraim, not only besides Judah would he be the greatest of all the other 12, the actual name Ephraim is synonymous for the 10 tribes of Israel. You remember when the 12 tribes split over the dissension that took place between King Rehoboam and King Jeroboam. And so there was a splitting of the tribes. 10 went up into the north of Syria, and the others went down to the south, which we know is Judah. Well, the truth of the matter is Judah, he's, he has the seed promise. He's in the south, and he's the, even though there's only a couple of the tribes there, he really is the biggest and does the most. Why? Because Jesus comes out of that tribe. And it's a tribe that's called praise. And praise always raises. And praise always goes ahead of the army. And praise always causes us to be more than conquerors. But Ephraim is synonymous with those ten tribes that went up into Assyria. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Lastly, Israel reminds Joseph that God is going to bring him back to the land. Finally, we need to see something in verse 22 that I think is just amazing. And it's not evidenced by your casual reading. I just decided to look a little deeper into this, and it came up with a very interesting prospect. He says to Joseph, that is Israel, he said, I'm giving you a portion above your brothers. And doing a little study on that, not only would this be... Um, the way Joseph's sons, because that's one of the way he gave him a portion. He gave a double portion by bringing his sons into adoption, right? So not only in that way, but the literal word portion, the word portion literally means shoulder. And that word in the Hebrew is the word shechem. Shechem. So when he said, I give you a portion more than your brothers, he was saying, I'm giving you shechem. Now, let's talk a little bit about Shechem. First of all, if you remember, it was the town that Levi and Simeon murdered all of the inhabitants there. Remember that? We studied that. It's the place Jacob purchased for his burial plot. Okay? And we read about it in our New Covenant believers' 
reading when we come to John 4. I want you to see it, John 4, verse 5 and 6. It says, so he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sikar, which is Shechem, the new covenant, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. This is, this apparently, and I'm going to get to this in our last portion of scripture here. Apparently, although we read nothing about this, we, Bible scholars and theologians, there's no documented um, old covenant understanding about, we're going to read at the very end, that he, he took over the Amorites with a sword. But apparently, this may have been who first was part of that. When they went into Shechem and murdered everyone, it became their possession. But it may have been Amorites there from the very beginning because the Bible makes mention of that in that last verse, and I'll show you that in a few minutes. But one of the ways that people, when they obtained land in those days, is they dug a well because you need water to do anything, don't you? So here we get a little different understanding of the woman at the well. She was the one in this very locality which was given as a portion, which means Shechem, to Joseph. Are you with me? Later on, we read this, Joshua 24, 32, having to do with this very place. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried them at what? Shechem, in the plot of ground which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had been an inheritance to the children of Joseph. So Joseph was buried in Shechem, as was Jacob. You know, when we go back and we think about this, we think about, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and the wives, they were all in Mechpelah, remember that, in Hebron, but not these two. It's very interesting how God put all this, put the, in different localities and whatnot. So Jacob is so confident that Joseph and the rest of Israel will one day leave Egypt and return to the land that God gave them, okay, that he, he, he puts this aside for him. He, he's so sure of it that he actually gives him land in that very place. But remember, that word portion, I give you a portion more than your brothers is the word Shechem. And by other places in our Bible that we view as a commentary, we find out that certainly did happen and he certainly did receive it because that's where he was buried and that's where lots of things took place, okay? And... I just want to say this on the way by before we close out of this chapter. What do you know? There's not one single promise to any Palestine having any of that land. We still haven't read that yet, have we? No. I mean, this is amazing. We have to pray for the United Nations. If we could just give them a Bible, if they could just read that. You know, to sit and say that Israel has no claim on this land, my goodness, it goes back 6,000 years ago. And there's not one word of anybody but Jews having possession of this land. In fact, the Koran that the Arabs use, they don't even mention Jerusalem as a supposed, you know, high religious spot that they're supposed to worship Allah in. It's not even mentioned in their entire word that they proclaim. This is a spiritual battle my beloved daughters. It really is. It's a spiritual battle for that land because God promised it and the devil's doing anything he can to railroad and get those people and put a no vacancy sign up on every piece of the land he can find. Amen? 
We see there's not one thing. This is all Jews promised the Jewish land. Amen? Now, chapter 48 and chapter 49 are the same moment. Okay, it's not, okay, we're done that, and then Jacob goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and we start all over. Now, they're the same moment. So, in, in, in essence, we should be reading them as that same moment. And after blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, he calls the rest of them to speak over them. Okay? We're only going to read two verses, and we're going to stop. I want you to have a little group time. So, verse 1 says, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. The last days? Oh, I had to take a little moment there and say, what you talking about last days? You're talking about the last days I know about? Really, I mean, that just really struck me as so odd. We just, that, that vernacular is just so interesting that I just never really picked up before whatsoever, okay? Yes, the last days. Let's talk about that. It's the first time out of 14 times that that wording, the last days, will be mentioned in the Old Covenant. Only 14 times, and this is first mentioned. So this is very strategic. So what do we know by that? We know by, by knowing that fact that this chapter will be eschological, totally eschological, and it will be prophetic. Because the last days were certainly not the days they were living in, okay? And, and what we're going to find out as we approach this chapter 49 is it's going to speak not only to the sons individually, because he will call each one of them over. And there will be a speaking of a blessing and a, and a prophetic word over each of them that will be individual. But you know what, church? It's much bigger than that. It's bigger than just an individual talking. It will also come to each tribe in general. So them, as the leader of their designated tribe, it will be prophetic and eschatological um, in the sense that it will speak to them as the leader of that specific tribe. And, may I say, I was amazed to just discover this for myself. And it will lead up to this propheticness and eschatology that he's going to, to pronounce over each of them will be, will be um, end-time wording right up to the millennial reign of Christ. It's a huge piece of Scripture. Touch somebody and say, we got some work to do. We got some work to do in this chapter. Oh, yes, we do. Uh, I read one commentary, I think it was, uh, was the um, Genesis record, that said this could very well likely be the most important chapter in the book of Genesis, short of the evangelicum, I always like to bring us back to that, where the pronouncement was made that the Satan would be crushed by the seed of the woman. Other than that place in Scripture, Genesis 3.15, it's the most important chapter, because we're going to see outright to, to times we haven't even entered ourselves in yet, all the way back. And here, this trickster, this trickster who just was a mess, he is going to give one of the most vast prophetic statements probably that any prophet gives because he's going to talk about every single one of the tribes and not just one scenario on one specific day, one specific time, okay? This is certainly, I have to say, this is Israel's, Jacob slash Israel's. This is his shining moment. It is his shining moment as he gathers 
and watch the name change in, chapter, in verse 2. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. I just got a Holy Ghost goosebump really big on my back. I really did. Because we're seeing, because we've been studying this all along, we see that name change. Again, he's moving into governed. What he's about to say is going to be governed by God. So this is really important for us to, to go through this together and take our time to understand because it's going to give us insight to the rest of the Bible. Now, as we gather next week and start taking the support, I would love for you to really have a, a working handle on it before we come together next week. Read through it and really get a working feel for it. Uh, some of the stories you'll remember because Israel is going to talk about things that they did and why things are going to happen because of what they did. Okay. But basically, we're going to see some things that he's going to say we already know happened. For instance, we know that Ephraim is synonymous with the ten tribes of Israel. And he's, going to, he, he's already said it would be that his name would be greater than Manasseh's. We're going to talk about some of that as we get together the next time. But what a way to go. I just want to close with this. You know, it's the old saying... It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. And what a way to go. He's preparing for his death. He's filled with the governing, uh, you know, presence of God. And he is going to prophesy over every single one of his children's lives before he passes on to eternity and meets the one who has guided him on his staff all these years. Just absolutely amazing. And we will talk all about that next week. Amen. What I would like you to do in group, let's see what time it is. We should take 20 minutes to do this. And it's, it's going to be a lot, I have to tell you. But I want you just to get a feel for something because there are some doctrines in churches um, that really set churches apart. Um, and one of them is called election. Calvinism, it's also known as. Um, and that, that is a concept of that, you know, there's nothing you can do to either be saved or be unsaved. That God has ordained by predestination uh, that, that, you know, um, Mary Ellen is going to get saved. I don't care how bad she is. She's not bad. She's really nice. She, I don't care how bad she is. She will be saved because the concept of Calvinism and predestination is that she has been predestined to, to, to be saved. There's nothing she can do to be unsaved. In fact, you know, as I look around the table, I think, well, Barbara, if, you know, if, if, this would be the concept. And Barbara is not meant to be saved. And there's nothing she can do to get saved. But Barbara's role is to make sure that Mary Ellen gets saved. I mean, there are literally churches, reformed churches, they're basically known as, that build their entire doctrine on this. The entire doctrine. And so I, I, I wanted to bring that to you because I don't know if you've heard of it and what your thoughts are on it. But then there are those that are called Arminism, which means it's, it's a choice. That, that God came to the world to save all of us and that we make the choice out of our free will. Okay? However, God knows who that's going to be. So the predestination, in essence, is his pre-knowledge, if you will. Okay? I'm giving you the answers before you get into the group. Sorry about that. Anyway. <laughs> But I wanted to bring this to you because we're heading into that. 
I just thought this would be like a perfect way for you to prepare your hearts and your minds and maybe expand your thinking a little because we're going to go into a full chapter of is this predestination? Is this pre-knowledge? Because Jacob is going to get down the list and say, and you, Jude, and you, Gad, and you, Reuben, and you all, the, you know, he's going to get down every one of them, and he's going to say what's going to happen. So does that mean that this is what was predestined to happen to every one of these tribes? Or did they play a part in it, and God knew the part they would play, and so he's declaring ahead of time what he already knows before it takes place? Don't ask me to repeat that again. Anyway, so today... We are gathered around Jacob's deathbed and eavesdropping on his conversation with his sons, and there will be tribes. What an adventure we have had watching God transform Jacob the trickster into Israel governed by God. This portion of his life is his shining moment in this transformation. Following today's message and in preparation for next week, read the following scripture. Okay, here's, here's what churches base their doctrine on. One of them, Romans 8. And we know all things work together for good, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the question. What's his purpose, okay? For he who foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Moreover, he who he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, he justifies. And who he justifies, he glorifies. And then a, a sentence we use very out of context we say that, what can we say? If God be for us, who can be against us? See, we use that like we're believers, and so, you know, the devil, he can't do it. But see, people that are Calvinists, they say, if God be for us, who can be against us? Because we're chosen. So, you're going to have fun at your tables. Discussing, are our lives predestined or are we predestined because he foreknew? Have fun with this one. Smile. Okay. Uh, what you came up with, predestined or pre-knowing, but all I can tell you is this. God is with us. God is for us. Nothing can come against. Nothing can stand between us. Right? Because really, I mean, Scripture does seem to um, lend itself to understanding that I don't see in the Word of God where God would destine someone to eternal punishment in hell. He's a loving God, and the Word says He came to seek and save all those that were lost. Not some, but all. So, you know, the proper, in my personal opinion, is that when he says things like we're going to read in this next chapter, and some of them aren't so pleasant, it's because he is omnipotent, omniscient, he knows all things, he knows, he's full of knowledge, and he knows the end from the beginning. So because he knows the end from the beginning, things can be predestined because he's in his foreknowledge of the end from the beginning, he's able to be the greatest prophet. You know, Jesus is the only man um, that even as he walked this earth that he was declared many were prophets many were kings some were priests but nobody filled the office of prophet king and priest he's the only one that fulfilled that so with that in mind um, i think we can lend ourselves to believe that it's not god's will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance so if you're here today and you have not given your life to the lord jesus christ 
You don't have to worry about if you've been selected because he has selected you from the foundations of the world. You were born for such a time as this to come into the kingdom. And if you say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, then maybe you are predestined. I don't know. No, just kidding. Um, so come, you know, come to the altar during this last prayer. We would like to really pray with you and um, put your hand in the hand of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior and Lord of the world, and he's the only way that we can go to heaven and we can have eternal life. And even complete with that is a relationship with him now, not just someday, but right now he wants to make you his child and bestow blessings upon you and write you in his will. Amen? Because when we receive him, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And it's written in blood, and it cannot be erased. Amen? So.